to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com this episode is sponsored by back to the body back to the body offers sensuous retreats for women private retreats for couples or groups weekend events called portals and online coaching opportunities for folks who want to explore more about their sexual arousal and desires go to backtothebody.org if you're ready for a whole body healing experience Pamela Madsen and her staff of certified back-to-the-body method practitioners use their expertise to guide folks through transformative whole-body healing journeys that are individually tailored to fit your specific needs. All you have to do is bring your body. Right now, it is your last chance to sign up for a weekend portal event happening December 2nd to the 4th in Los Angeles. There are only a few coveted spots left for this non-residential event. This portal event is for women to ask questions and explore what Back to the Body offers in a safe weekend container. It will feature live demonstrations. You'll get to practice receiving adoration. You'll experience the Lotus Lift meditation, enjoy workshops, and more. Go to backtothebody.org slash events slash permission to secure your spot before they are gone. Backtothebody.org slash events slash permission, and the link is in the episode description. If you can't make this event, check out their other retreats and awesome offerings. I had the privilege to go to an amazing retreat with Back to the Body this past summer in Colorado. It was profoundly healing, and I am already planning for my next retreat. Your desires are valid and important, and I invite you to give yourself permission to experience more pleasure. If you are curious about the retreats, you can also listen to my recent episode with founder Pamela Madsen, where you'll get to hear lots of juicy details. If you're not ready to commit, you can even book a Back to the Body free consultation call. Go to backtothebody.org to book your free call. This 30-minute free call offers professional support on issues involving your intimacy, your body, and your sex life. A Back to the Body consultation is more than just answering your questions about a retreat, but they can do that as well. It is a personalized session with a professional sexologist to provide you with the support you need to get clear on your goals around sex and intimacy, and to define what your erotic growing edge might be. Once you define your desires, Back to the Body staff will help you figure out next steps to get them met. So check out backtothebody.org to sign up for the portal or a free call. That is backtothebody.org. Again, the link is in the episode's description. And remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Hey, slutty scholars. Remember, this season we are doing new themes each month, and November's theme has been sex and culture. This month has highlighted some of the many ways that sex fits into our broader experiences, relationships, and life. We have covered topics around social values, spirituality, psychedelics, and more. Today's episode is about sex and relationships during grief. I talk with coach and grief expert Krista St. Germain about losing her partner, different theories on grief, sexuality, and relationships after loss, and more. Along with sex, death is another one of those taboo topics and conversations. I even noticed myself laughing or being overly cheery during this conversation because of my own discomforts coming up around loss. I'm honored to talk more about this important subject that we all experience in one way or another. This beautifully moving conversation will segue us into our December theme, which is sex, fertility, and parenting. And now on to the episode. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Krista St. Germain. She is a master certified life coach, post-traumatic growth and grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the awesome Widowed Mom podcast. When her husband was killed by a drunk driver in 2016, Krista's life was completely and unexpectedly flipped upside down. After therapy helped her uncurl from the fetal position, Krista discovered life coaching, post-traumatic growth, and learned the tools she needed to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. Now she coaches and teaches other widows so they can love life again too. And today we are going to be talking about sex, grief, parenthood, all kinds of things. Welcome, Krista. Thanks so much for having me. 
Um, okay. So you shared this term with me and I would love to unpack it a little bit with you because obviously the name of the podcast is Sluts and Scholars. Uh, widow, um, yes. like a widow who's a hoe. And when I first hear that, since I'm all about reclaiming those words, I'm like, yes, be a widow and a hoe. But like, let's unpack this word a little bit and like why it's maybe hurtful, harmful and and what's up with that. Yeah, to your point, right? It depends on how you use it. And unfortunately, the way I see most widows using it is not in a reclaiming powerful way. They kind of use it as a way to insult themselves. Um, You know, sexual desire doesn't go away when your spouse dies. And what we end up doing with that desire, I think, sometimes results in a lot of unnecessary judgment and shame. And so I just really can't stand, it's not even so much the term, it's I can't stand it when we use that against ourselves because I just, there's just no need for that, right? What what we Mm want to do with our own sex lives is our business and it it doesn't need a derogatory label. But hey, if we're reclaiming it. Yeah, then we'll take it. (laughs) Then we'll take it, right. Right. I mean, something that I obviously work on with clients and it could be around, you know, grief of any kind. So whether this is like losing a relationship, losing a partner, I, I find that people go one of two ways. Some people are completely not feeling sexual at all, and mm-hmm. they feel really disconnected from their bodies and just can't even imagine connecting with themselves or another person. And then some people maybe also feeling disconnected, but are trying to just feel something or yeah. they just are having maybe higher experiences of sexual desire. Um, what have you kind of, I know you can maybe only speak for your experience and folks you've talked to, but like, what do you see as sort of the trajectory of how grief and desire intersect or don't? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I know it, I think makes this kind of hard to talk about is that yeah. people find it hard to talk about. And so I think the amount of conversations I've had, even though there are many, are probably only a small fraction of you know the the people that I've coached and clients that I've worked with because not everybody wants to talk about it. So right. I've seen it be all over the board. For me personally, and really I quick, maybe just to touch yeah. on that, like why I know the answer to this because like sex, but why do you think mm-hmm. people don't want to talk about it? Is it because there's like this stereotype of the grieving widow that you're supposed to be like just it just desexualized or Yes. And also, I think it has to do with like raging inner critic thoughts that people don't know are optional, right? I think we've just kind of internalized all of these judgments and, you know, they, depending on what we, we were brought up with and the, you know, norms of our culture, religion, whatever, um, kind of make those vary. But in general, I just see people showing up with all these rules about when you're supposed to have sex again, what that means specifically about you, but probably even more so about your love for your person. Mm-hmm. And we get those things really mixed up, right? Yeah. We we make meaning where there doesn't need to be any. And so I think people are so busy judging themselves that they tend to draw inward and not really want to talk about what's actually going on. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, coming back to that kind of original question of the trajectory of sex and or desire and grief, what are some of the the trends that you see? Well, you know what I I can tell you, I just actually had someone come into my group who specifically works with women in midlife and she's a sex coach. And it was one of the highest attended calls I've Mm -hmm. ever had in my group, if that tells you something, right? So I think the interest is very much there. And I do think it does tend to vary by the person in terms of the trajectory, right? So for me, I didn't want anything to do with sex for a long time, for probably like a good two years. Mm -hmm. Literally, I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, It felt like work to me. It felt like a reminder that I had lost what I really wanted. Um, It just that I had just zero desire. But then I've had so many clients who aren't that way at all. And they're, you know, having desire within weeks of having you know, gone through a a spousal loss and, but oftentimes again, not really letting themselves have that desire. They're noticing it and then sometimes really judging themselves for it. Yeah. But eventually it, like, how could I be turned on by this? Well, yeah. What's wrong with me? Am I doing grief wrong? Does it mean I didn't love them enough? Um, You know, am I, am I hiding? Am I avoiding? We can just never let ourselves want what we want. It seems like we have to question our reasons for wanting it in the first place, which just kind of, you know, adds this unnecessary layer of mess on top. But ultimately, I think most of us do come to the place where we're ready to live again. And 
our sex life becomes a part of that, you know, different timelines for different people. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but that's where I see most people coming back to eventually. Yeah. And how can people maybe, I don't want to say protect themselves, but like be okay and, and deal with the judgments from external Mm -hmm. forces who are maybe giving them timelines of like, well, you have to wait at least six months or you have to wait at least the half amount of time for as long as you've been with that person or whatever, you know, whatever bullshit rules. Right. No doubt. I think part of it is just realizing that there are bullshit rules, right? I think so many times we're so busy just living the rules that we don't even question that they could be optional. We don't even notice that what we have internalized as a rule is maybe not something else someone else has internalized as a rule. We just think because it's what we're thinking that it is, that is the way, right? So we just don't even know that it's something we could question. And so I like to just kind of highlight some of the most popular myths and things that that people are told and do buy into. Not because you can't keep those rules for yourself if you choose them consciously, but because if you're just living them, without choosing them consciously, maybe they aren't working for you, right? So just even getting to know that they're optional in the first place is so big. Yeah. Hit me with some of these myths. Oh, yeah. I think you you were on the the right track there, right? That there's rules about time, right? It's only appropriate if you've grieved for a year or some particular amount of time. Yeah. Grief doesn't work like that. It's not on a linear timeline. It's not on a linear timeline. If you're waiting for grief to never pop up, you'll never have sex again. Thank you. Right. But, but, Really, truly so many, and I am, I was this way too when my husband died. I really did not know much of anything about grief. And so I had internalized this idea that, you know, it's this staged linear process that you go through. And at a certain point, you're going to reach the end of it. Mm -hmm. Acceptance. Right. Except that that doesn't, it's not not the way it works at all. And so if you think that you're supposed to be waiting until you've reached the end and there is no such thing as the end, then of course that's you know, like beating your head up against the wall repeatedly because it doesn't work. I think we're also taught and told by other people that if we do want sex, it's because we're trying to escape our grief. Mm. And maybe some people are trying to escape their grief with sex. But But is there anything wrong with that? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, nothing wrong with it. And also that's not always what we're doing, right? So, And one of the things I love helping people understand dual process theory of grief. I don't know if that's, if that's, um, Oh, I don't know if I know that. No, please tell us. So it's just this, I, well, it's not an idea. It's a grief theory, right? There's lots of grief theories. Most people are only familiar with the five stages of grief. And so it's helpful to know that that's one of many theories of grief, right? And the five stages of, of grief was really originally, um, created in a study of hospice patients, right? It was studying people who were coming to terms with their own terminal diagnosis, Mm -hmm. as opposed to studying people who were accepting the loss of someone that they loved. And so I think that work and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler, who created it, have been known to say even they believed it, it was taken out of context and you know made to be this linear thing. Interesting. That I didn't did. know that they've even yeah. acknowledged that. Oh, That's totally. Great. Yeah. And I was so grateful for, I think it was in the foreword, uh, the book is called On Death and Dying. And I think in one of the latest renditions of that, which I had picked up right after Hugo died, um, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, talked about that, how she'd really regretted how people had taken the work and turned it into a linear, you know, must go through this stage and then this state, you know, denial and anger and bargaining and depression, whatever. And that really just wasn't what they meant for it to be, but that's what our culture has made it, right? We've taken that, we've, we put it in all the movies, that's what we know of. And so unfortunately then, if that's what we think grief is, then we're always comparing ourselves to where we are, you know, and, and it was just never meant to be that. So dual process theory is another theory of grief. And what it teaches is that there are, there's benefit in going back and forth from kind of grief related activities, like, you know, allowing the feelings, thinking about the loss, you know, things that are related to the actual quote unquote work of grief and then restorative activities. So things that take you away from thinking about the loss. So hobbies, you know, things that are normal living, right? Things that 
take your mind off of what has happened and that there is value and healing in intentional oscillation back and forth, back and forth. This is literally in somatic type therapies, what we call titration, which is basically like going into the thing that's a little bit painful and then stepping out of it and showing your nervous system that it's okay. And then going into the thing a little more and then stepping out of it. Because if you go fully into it, that's overwhelming. You're going to totally flood. And if you go fully away from it, we're maybe avoiding and it's bubbling up in a different way. So like, this is, this is real. So so when you said what's wrong with getting away from your grief, escaping your grief, you know, dual process theory of grief would say, oh, not only is there nothing wrong with it, it can actually be beneficial. Like, hey, we recommend it. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not saying if you looked up dual process theory under restorative activities, they necessarily list sex as one of Maybe they should. But maybe they should. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, I I think there, tell me what you feel about this, but I think there would be a difference between like, if someone is really in pain and is like totally numbing out and getting into potentially activities that are harmful and self-destructive and dangerous and is totally checked out that's different from like really mindfully and intentionally being like, I need some pleasure today and I'm going to do something that feels good in my body. Yeah. I think you want to consider the overall impact of the choice. It's not so much about the choice itself, right? It's about why are we making the choice and then how you feel about the the impact. Yeah. Yeah. So, because I think you can use a lot of behaviors to to distract from grief and, and sometimes that you can really like the result that that creates for you. And then other times it might create something that just makes your world harder instead of easier. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're always turning to say shopping, um, you know, and eventually you end up with a, an amount of debt that you don't want or dollars you didn't want to spend or stuff you don't want to have, then maybe that's not creating something that you want, right? Mm -hmm. Is it morally inferior? No, but maybe it's not useful in terms of the way that you want to live your life. And I think our, our choices around sex are the same. Yeah. Right. Any other different different people? Totally. Any other myths? Um, We're told a lot that we don't know what we want. You don't, you just, Oh dear. You just, just you just want physical connection. You just need to get a massage. Right? You just want a human to t- you know, human touch. As it, what right like come on. Like we know the difference between do I want a massage or do I want sex? Like they're very different. Um yeah, and just all the rules around that people grew up with sometimes too. And I think this can be dependent upon, I see this more often in women who are in very long-term relationships that they have believed that uh, they were with their one. And so in order to have sex again, they also need to find the next one and that it can't be anything more than something that comes out of a committed long-term relationship. Mm. Right. So those rules can kind of hold us back. Um, Also the idea that it, that we we won't be ready until we don't have strong emotions about it, which I think is nonsense because I think it's unfair to expect, you know, if you've lost a person you care deeply about, even when you are ready, having sex again is probably going to bring up some emotions. And that doesn't mean you weren't ready necessarily. Like you're just a human. And if if strong emotion comes up, that's okay. But if we keep waiting until we think, well, I don't have any strong emotion or you know, it's not going to, it's not going to bring up any parts of my grief for me, then that's not fair either. Yeah. I mean, so, I'm a yeah. big fan of the crygasm, you know, I think same. <laughs> yeah, it's I, very and, healing. and I think, you know, that's what helped me with when I got back in it again, I, I was very upfront with my partner. I said, listen, I'm probably going to cry. And like, you know, yes, crygasms are part of that, but also just, it, it is going to be an emotional experience for me. And that's yeah. not to say that has anything to do with you. That's all about me, but Hey, just be forewarned, you know? And so he was, and it was fine. Any, any tips to look for in potentially finding a, as you're maybe navigating a new partner, whether that be sexually or dating, um, to make sure that they feel like they can hold space for mm-hmm. what you're sharing, you know? Yeah. And not to say there can be your everything, your therapist or whatever, but like, yeah, like you're saying, that sounds very healing and nice to know that there was someone who you could feel comfortable saying that to. And Mm -hmm. then for them to be able to tolerate that and not feel like it's unsexy to have Mm -hmm. grief and feelings during sex. Yeah. I mean, I think we want to have some, this is a great place for us to decide like what kind of partners do we want to be with? Right. And yes, we, we could maybe say that it it's not super common to have someone who is that 
confident and open and and can hold that for another person. But also, do we want to settle for less? Like I didn't, right? I mean, yeah. maybe if it's something that's not going to be long term, and and there are other reasons that I'm doing it, that's different. But in terms of, you know, an actual serious relationship, to me, it's it's worth looking for someone who who does respect that, you know, love is not a finite resource. Right. So I'm always going to love my late husband. Yeah. This always. is sort of, this is like non monogamy in a more d- traditional yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that can be okay. Right. It's not like, like now I have two children. And when my son was born, I didn't love my daughter less. Right. Like I, I just had someone else to love. And, and my capacity for love, I believe our capacity for love just, you know, th- there's no end to that. So I can still love my late husband and, you know, love someone else. Um, and somebody else has to know that, right? Because otherwise then they start, you know, they don't want pictures around and they don't want you t- telling stories and, um, you know, having that person still be a part of your life. But, you know, especially if I think most widows, especially widowed moms, if you had a you want that person to still be part of your life, even though they're no longer alive. You want to tell stories about them. You want to remember the good times. You want to tell those things to your kids, right? So your kids remember their dad or, mm. you know, your partner. And so it takes someone to be able to, yeah, you know, recognize the value of that. Yeah. Not feel threatened. Not feel threatened by someone who's passed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you bring up an important topic here, which is that of children. Um, and I, I don't know if you've watched it, but I just finished watching that cheesy show. Never have I ever on Netflix. No, it, it might be it. interesting to watch. It's a, it's about a young teen girl, but her, her father passes away. So there's a lot about like coming of age and, you okay. know, it's, but it's kind of a comedy, but also, you know, there's these components of, um, of grief and things as well. And, you know, a, a big thing that, that happens in the show, sorry, if there's any spoiler to anybody, um, but, you know, is, is watching the mom is the child witnessing the mom have desire and start to Mm. date other people Mm -hmm. any tips or things that come up around parenting and navigating new relationships and sex after this that could be a conversation that's a whole that's like 10 podcasts yeah right it really is i think it is a great opportunity though to really connect with your values and what you want to role model for your children right and really check to make sure that what you want to role model actually does line up with your values because i think sometimes we are we we take someone else's values or the values that we grew up with mm-hmm. and put it on ourselves to role model that when really if we could kind of check with ourselves those may not actually be our values yeah right so um you know, like for my daughter, I I don't, a, a lot of those rules that I picked up as a child around what good girls do and what good girls don't do and, you know, all of that stuff. I, I don't think I had questioned probably a lot of that when she was little. Yeah. But then when I was in a different place, when my husband died and when I started dating again. Yeah. And so it's just an opportunity, right? To be like, okay, what kind of woman do I want to show my daughter that you can be? Right. Yeah. Free and independent and powerful and be and able to make choices and not worried about what other people think, but very confident and grounded in herself and who she is. And so I think that's an opportunity. Also, I think there's a lot of complications that come with it because um, you know, children are children and and when they're they on lose their own parents, grief process. They're they're totally in their own grief process. And they it's hard for them to understand the idea that if you are dating again, it doesn't mean you're replacing their other parent, right? Or that you didn't love their other parent or that you're forgetting their other parent. And so we have to know as parents that that that's a concern that they have, right? And help them through it and help them to the best we can, of course, recognizing that they will always be their own independent beings with their own agency. We can't you know, make them think anything, but helping them understand that me choosing to be happy you know, through another relationship doesn't mean that I didn't love your your other parent, right? Doesn't mean that I don't care for your other parent. It doesn't mean that we're bringing somebody into the family that that now changes your whole dynamic either. But this is the example that I want to set for my daughter, right? Which is if I put myself as my number one priority, not my only priority, but my number one priority, and my happiness matters, yeah, right? Then relationships matter. 
that wasn't what I grew up with, right? I grew up with this old idea that women are, they're supposed to make everybody else happy and Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be last on the list and give, 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 give. That is not a recipe for success in a, a widowed mom's marathon. This episode is sponsored by Back to the Body. Back to the Body offers sensuous retreats for women, private retreats for couples or groups, weekend events called portals, and online coaching opportunities for folks who want to explore more about their sexual arousal and desires. Go to backtothebody.org if you're ready for a whole body healing experience. Pamela Madsen and her staff of certified Back to the Body method practitioners use their expertise to guide folks through transformative whole body healing journeys that are individually tailored to fit your specific needs. All you have to do is bring your body. Right now, it is your last chance to sign up for a weekend portal event happening December 2nd to the 4th in Los Angeles. There are only a few coveted spots left for this non-residential event. This portal event is for women to ask questions and explore what Back to the Body offers in a safe weekend container. It will feature live demonstrations. You'll get to practice receiving adoration. You'll experience the Lotus Lift meditation, enjoy workshops, and more. Go to backtothebody.org slash events slash permission to secure your spot before they are gone. Backtothebody.org slash events slash permission, and the link is in the episode description. If you can't make this event, check out their other retreats and awesome offerings. I had the privilege to go to an amazing retreat with Back to the Body this past summer in Colorado. It was profoundly healing, and I am already planning for my next retreat. Your desires are valid and important, and I invite you to give yourself permission to experience more pleasure. If you are curious about the retreats, you can also listen to my recent episode with founder Pamela Madsen, where you'll get to hear lots of juicy details. If you're not ready to commit, you can even book a Back to the Body free consultation call. Go to backtothebody.org to book your free call. This 30-minute free call offers professional support on issues involving your intimacy, your body, and your sex life. A Back to the Body consultation is more than just answering your questions about a retreat, but they can do that as well. It is a personalized session with a professional sexologist to provide you with the support you need to get clear on your goals around sex and intimacy, and to define what your erotic growing edge might be. Once you define your desires, Back to the Body staff will help you figure out next steps to get them met. So check out backtothebody.org to sign up for the portal or a free call. That is backtothebody.org. Again, the link is in the episode's description. And remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I guess that that a lot of the myths that you were talking about to me are very reflective of like an old patriarchal kind of misogynistic system mm-hmm. of like, you can't exist as a human if you're in this case, you know, just as a cisgender thing, it is if your husband yep. dies, right? Because you are a kept woman and your husband leads the life, right? Yeah. And so if they're gone, you don't know what you want. You don't have desires. You barely exist as a human. And the, the whole rest of your experience should just be... Yeah. Grieving the loss of the person who was really in charge of your life. Yeah. yeah. And oh, by the way, you're damaged um, and there's something wrong with you and you should be embarrassed in public settings when other people are coupled and you're not. These are the kinds of things I see women putting themselves through. Yeah. Right. They will yeah. literally think a spouse who died that they had no choice in the matter. They will watch themselves in a room full of couples and and genuinely believe that they are less than because they aren't coupled. How do we combat that narrative? That sounds gross. And I just powerful. keep showing it to them, right? I just keep showing it to them. So that that's what I I feel like one of the superpowers of you know having a coach is right is somebody who can give you some outside perspective on your brain and just show you, well, just at least show you even if you choose to keep it that it's optional, right? Mm-hmm. Just show you that all these things, all these ways that you're interpreting the world are interpretations Mm -hmm. and aren't the only interpretations available to you. And so if we can, you know, it's like, that's the diffusion of, you know, right. Our our own cognitions. If we can see ourselves as separate from the stories in our mind, then we can pick and choose the stories. Yeah. And most of, most of us are at least the, you know, the clients I work with, they're coming into it, having no visibility of the stories as stories. They're just experiencing their stories as truths. Yeah. 
I guess this kind of gets into the topic and you you named it in your bio of post-traumatic growth. Um, oh, my favorite. Yeah. Say a little bit about like what that, what that is. Cause I think when people hear post-trauma, they think PTSD, post-trauma right. disorder, right? What yeah. is post-traumatic growth and what, and what is that kind of um, approach? Yeah. I, I have to say, I remember exactly the first time I heard that phrase and really it was like a record scratch moment where you're like, wait, what? Because same, I knew about post-traumatic stress disorder, but I didn't even know post-traumatic growth was a thing. So it's a phrase that was coined in the mid-90s by a couple of researchers, last names Tadeshi and Calhoun. And before their work, it was just thought that, you know, when somebody went through something traumatic, which obviously very subjective, but something traumatic, the best they could kind of hope for was to, you know, they would experience a dip in wellness, right? And the best they could hope for was to get back to that baseline of wellness that they had experienced prior to the the event. Yeah. And so what they were noticing is that some people were not actually, some people weren't getting back to the baseline at all, right? Some people were getting back to the baseline, but then other people were actually not just bouncing back, but they were kind of bouncing forward. They were experiencing greater levels of satisfaction with life and deeper and more meaningful relationships and lives that were even more aligned with what they wanted and not in spite of what had happened, but literally because of it, right? So it just kind of opens up this whole idea that, that really just basically says, hey, whatever happens to you in life, you can do with it what you want, right? You can make choices no matter what happens to you to keep creating what it is that you want. So I kind of think about it like a tornado because I live in Kansas and we have lots of those, which is like if a tornado comes and it knocks down your house, just like a traumatic event can happen to you, you could rebuild that exact same house, right? You could get out the old plans and dust them off and build something as close as possible to that. And there would be nothing wrong with that. But chances are you probably learned some stuff living in that house for as long as you did. You probably learned there are some things about that house that you love and some things about that house that you'd really like to change. And maybe you want more light and maybe you want a different kitchen layout. You know, you could take the opportunity to use what you've learned from living in that house and build something that meets what you want a little bit closer, right? Yeah, like you've you've built a whole career on this now. 100%. And why I see a lot of people not doing that is because they make it mean something it doesn't need to mean, especially mm-hmm. as it relates to spousal loss, right? Like if, if you build a new house that's different, it doesn't mean anything bad about the old house. Mm-hmm. But we make we tend to do that with post-traumatic growth in the real world. We tend to say, well, how dare I be happier or living a life that's more of what I want than I was when my spouse was here? Because what does that mean? Right? We make it mean things it doesn't need to mean. Yeah. What do you think was most helpful for you to get to a place to be open to post-traumatic growth? Um, I know this is different for every person and you know, it's, it's a process obviously, but like what, yeah, what helped you stay open to the idea that now you could make something out of this or you could shift things. Um, yeah. How did you get there? Interestingly enough, I think there was always a part of me that knew um, almost immediately when he died. So we ironically happened to be coming back from a trip, a volunteer experience called Heather's Camp, which is a summer camp program for kids who are blind or visually impaired. And I had been doing that summer camp program for a little less than 20 years, but it was something that I created with some friends of mine when I was in my 20s after a friend of mine was murdered. And so it, it, it was... Wow, she a was lot of tw- loss you've had. Yeah. Yeah. She was 25 and I was, I don't know, 23, 24. And it was just really brutal um, mm. the way that she was taken. And so it was very healing for us to get together, you know, a few of her friends and we kind of worked with their family and we created this program and, and just really grew it over the years. And, and in our minds, you know, we took something awful and made, made meaning out of it and, and made good from it. And so I think, so we had just volunteered that weekend for camp and we were on our way back and that's when the accident happened. And so I think there was just kind of always a part of me that knew already that that was possible. And so Thankfully, I, I had kind of already had that example, and her death was nowhere, you know, near as hard for me as his was, obviously. But it was just something already within me. I think that knew I could do that. It was available to me, 
and I got to make choices and that's what I was going to focus on. So yeah, that's not where a lot of my clients find themselves. It really does have to be something that they wrestle with. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it, they have to have somebody who helps them consider that that could be possible. Whereas for me, I think I just, from some life experience already happened to have that in my back pocket. Yeah. And for listeners out there too, I think that some of this is just your own nervous system and some of it is like unconscious, right? I think it sounds like you were someone who maybe more naturally went into like fight mode a little bit, right? Like, what can I do about this? How can I make something out of this? Whereas yeah. some people get stuck in the the flight mode, which is to run away from it. And some people get stuck in freeze, which is like helpless. I can't do anything. There's mm-hmm. nothing I can do from this. So um, wherever you're at, it's not like you're not doing enough or not working hard enough or not doing the right thing. If you're not like, I'm going to now start a, a company around my, my totally. person's around this grief or around this loss. Um, but it might highlight the part that you need some therapy and support and some yeah. regulation around and, based on and how I, you're responding. I think that really matters too, because I know that at a certain point it would have really rubbed me in the wrong way. If somebody told me I could have grown from my grief, I probably would have Like that wouldn't have resonated with me. I think what I hope people will hear is that we just get to make choices. And those choices, no matter which choices we make, let's just make them consciously, but they aren't morally superior choices, right? So some people might choose to look for growth after an experience like that. And some people might not. And that doesn't make one person's choice better or worse than another. What I'm interested in is just helping people make those choices for themselves as opposed to buying into the narrative of, you know, this new normal, which basically, you know, people take to mean, well, I'm just going to resign myself Mm -hmm. to a life that's less than what I want because I don't believe I can have anything else. Yeah. And, and and it's that um, powerlessness that, you know, I, I hope to empower people. But it's, but it's not because there is some way we should do it or that we mm-hmm. should be creating foundations and new careers and, right. you know, post-traumatic growth for everyone. It's what, what does each person want individually and then what's in the way of that and can we get some support around it? Mm-hmm. Which to your point is different things yeah. for different people. Yeah. And, and I think in the realm of post-traumatic growth to me would also be like, pleasure and your tolerance for pleasure. Right. And I, I do wonder where the, where potentially fantasizing about someone you've lost fits in Mm -hmm. to all of this. Cause I imagine some people, maybe it can feel, maybe pleasure can feel triggering for them, but I also imagine some people would have some solace in like self-pleasuring at the thought of their past partner or like having fantasies about that person um, and and where maybe that can fit into the healing. Yeah. And what I think is so interesting about this is just that it's all so individual. Yeah. Right. And so people are always wanting me to to give whatever you're doing. It's not wrong. (laughs) Right. They're always wanting to, you know, how do you do it? Tell me how to do it. And, I want the and playbook. I, I so I so want to give them the playbook. Yeah, but as you yeah. know, there like there just isn't one because what feels good to one person might not be what feels good to the next person. And I think if we just yeah. release the idea that there's a right or a wrong way mm-hmm. and we let what feels good to us kind of guide us, yes, then that's such an easier recipe. <laughs> yeah. But it but it will look so different from one person to the next. And we have to be okay with that. Yeah. What do you think gave you permission to just go with what felt good for you as your guidebook? Because like you said, I think Mm -hmm. everyone else, and that's probably coming from a place of pain or trauma is like, just tell me what to do. Tell me how to not feel this Mm -hmm. way. Tell me how to fix this. You know, I I get that a lot in my therapy practice. Yeah. Um, But then, like you said, there's all these myths and pressures from outside. Um, But do you feel like you already kind of had that sentiment or what allowed you to give yourself that self-permission of like, I can do this the way that I need and the way that works for me and follow what I need Mm -hmm. and what feels good to me? I think in some ways I I had it and in, and in many ways I didn't. So, you know, I definitely threw myself into reading mm-hmm. and trying to educate myself. And I think because I really didn't know really anything about grief and the more I learned and and the more I started to really read and have validated for me and affirmed for me that it was going to be different for every single person and that the the, the key was to give myself permission for it to be different, mm-hmm. then that made it easier to not 
judge myself. Also had an amazing therapist at the time too, right? And then I found coaching and all the things I was learning there. So some of it I probably came into um, just believing that it was okay to find my own way. But I know for sure there were some things that I had to really work through and get support around. Yeah. Places where I was judging myself or was worried other people would judge me. Yeah, absolutely. And just on the other side of things, um, do you feel like it's been hard maybe for you personally to not compare everyone to your, your past husband? Oh, like dating wise. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. You know, Cause I, I mean, I, I think folks who maybe haven't lost a partner in that way can maybe relate just in thinking of like loss in a breakup, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and feeling like, oh, this person was so much better and I'll never find this thing again. Um, yeah. How do you manage the comparison thing that comes up with the rose colored glasses of sort of mm-hmm. idealizing someone you've lost? I just kind of normalized it. Yeah. Um, and I've just decided that that's the thing that brains do. Mm-hmm. And it's not a problem that my brain wants to compare. And mm-hmm. also I just use my, so my late husband was my second husband. Mm-hmm. My first marriage, you know, did not end well. So my second husband was kind of the redemption story, like proof oh. that amazing humans exist. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the part that I chose to keep out of that is not that I wanted to find another human exactly like him, but that I wasn't going to, um, settle for something that was less than what I wanted and trying to give myself when I do notice or have noticed my brain comparing, trying to give myself permission to open up the ideas of the types of packages that amazing can come in. Mm. (laughs) Because if I'm looking for the French Canadian engineer who loved to barefoot water ski and snow ski, Right. Like is it's that so your, is that your ex? like that was my late husband, mm-hmm. right? Like just very specific personality, very quirky, very it, it, totally unique. Yeah. Right. Um, and yes, the, the brain it does. Sounds like compare. he was cool. Oh my God. He was he was cool. He was so he was so cool. But there are other flavors of cool. Yeah. Right. And so it's it's just reminding myself that it's okay for my brain to compare. And also amazing humans don't take the same you know, packages. Yeah. I like what you said was that there's many packages of amazing yeah. or something Yeah, or amazing comes in different packages. Yeah. 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 Like my current partner is, I mean, incredibly loving, but if you lined them up and looked at their interests or their approaches to life or, you know, very different humans, but yeah. still an amazing human. Mm. Um, I think my last question before we wrap up is what are some things to not say to somebody who has lost someone? And again, I guess yeah. this could be any kind of loss uh, potentially, mm-hmm. but when we're talking about a, a partner, um, mm-hmm. what are some things not to say? And like you said, this might not be a one size fits all, right? I guess it's good to ask someone and they might not know in the moment what they need or want to hear, but mm-hmm. like any more objective no-goes of like shit not to say. <laughs> Comparative shit that minimizes their feelings is never helpful. Like, but sorry I think for your even- loss. Sorry, they're in a better place. It was God's plan. Um, they just want you to be happy. There's more fish in the sea. Don't worry. You're young. Like those kinds of things that try to make you feel better are not what somewhat somebody who is bereaved wants to hear. Um, and I think if we could just step back and consider our own motivation for saying things like that, what we'll usually find is that we're saying things because we are uncomfortable with the discomfort of others. We have no yeah. capacity for it. And we've also we're been afraid to, afraid to face the feelings of grief. And yes. Yes. And I think to some extent, we've also bought into the idea that we're supposed to be happy and happiness is the goal. And so if we can back up from that and go, wait a minute, okay, what if feelings aren't really problems? novel question, right? What if they aren't really problems? They're just experiences to allow. They're not problems to solve. And if what I'm seeing in this human that I love is that they're having some feelings yeah, and those feelings aren't problems to solve, then I don't need to say all that stuff to try to make them feel better. I just can make it my goal to be with them as they feel whatever it is they're feeling. And then they don't feel minimized, right? And I am not so awkward and creepy because I'm not trying to solve something that isn't a problem, right? I'm just witnessing a part of their experience and I'm there for them as it happens. So it's, I'm so sorry. I love you. This sucks. I love you, right? I'm here, but it's not something to try to make you feel better. And it's also not avoidance. 
right? I think I used to worry so much when somebody around me would experience grief that I, I would tell myself things like, well, they're probably not thinking about it. So if I bring it up, then it will make it worse. And what I've learned having been on the other side of it is that, no, we're thinking about it. And we think, we think nobody else is thinking about it. So it's actually quite helpful if we know that we're not the only ones thinking about it. So by all means, you know, it's okay. Most people want to hear stories of their loved ones. They want to know that you didn't forget them either. Yeah. yeah. And um, so don't worry about you have to tiptoe or walk on eggshells because chances are like they're thinking about it. So, and I tell me if you agree with this, but I feel like then it's the, I, I feel this way about a lot of different topics, but I guess not being like being respectful, but not being afraid to make some mistakes and that you can like revisit that. Because I think when people, like you said, tiptoe and walk on eggshells so much, then they might just avoid that person altogether because they're worried they're going to say the wrong thing or make it worse, or it's uncomfortable for them as opposed to like trying to show up. And if you fuck it up, you give yourself grace, you apologize. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you see what you can learn from the whole deal for sure. I mean, isn't that the way of it? Right. We, and I think it's much better to your point then receding and, you know, like disappearing into the shadows. People are really, really used to that, right? They're used to people coming out in droves when they experience a loss. And then then just as they're kind of realizing that it actually is real and it really did happen, then everybody else goes back to their normal lives and kind of forgets about them or is uncomfortable around them. And yeah, that's when they, that's when they typically really want somebody to talk about it. I hear that you, you focus mostly on, um, like women identifying folks who are widows. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like a lot of this applies to all genders, um, as well? Or, I I mean, I'm guessing there's some specifics that are different, right? Like we were talking about, about assumptions of, you know, depending on what kind of partner you're with. Yeah. 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 I do think some of the rules that people have, I mean, statistically, if, if you look, you know, in terms of remarriage, you will find that men who are in relationships with women or married to women typically get married much faster, right? And they don't have a lot of that same judgment on themselves for for getting back in the relationship world as fast. Um, So I do think there are some differences, but in terms of, you know, how to approach people who are bereaved, I think most of that is, is pretty consistent across the board. Again, never prescriptive, right? But a good place to start. Yeah. Like we don't have to categorize if you're, yeah. if you're a woman, this is how this is going to work for you. If you're a man, right. if you're non-binary, if you're, binary, if you're 35, right. Right. If you, yeah, no, uh-uh. um, but, but humans don't, we don't want to be minimized. We want our emotions to be okay. Right. We want people to connect with us and understand and not, you know, not send us the message that we shouldn't be feeling how we feel. And I think that's pretty universal. This episode is sponsored by Back to the Body. Back to the Body offers sensuous retreats for women, private retreats for couples or groups, weekend events called portals, and online coaching opportunities for folks who want to explore more about their sexual arousal and desires. Go to backtothebody.org if you're ready for a whole body healing experience. Pamela Madsen and her staff of certified Back to the Body method practitioners use their expertise to guide folks through transformative whole body healing journeys that are individually tailored to fit your specific needs. All you have to do is bring your body. Right now, it is your last chance to sign up for a weekend portal event happening December 2nd to the 4th in Los Angeles. There are only a few coveted spots left for this non-residential event. This portal event is for women to ask questions and explore what Back to the Body offers in a safe weekend container. It will feature live demonstrations. You'll get to practice receiving adoration. You'll experience the Lotus Lift meditation, enjoy workshops, and more. Go to backtothebody.org slash events slash permission to secure your spot before they are gone. Backtothebody.org slash events slash permission, and the link is in the episode description. If you can't make this event, check out their other retreats and awesome offerings. I had the privilege to go to an amazing retreat with Back to the Body this past summer in Colorado. It was profoundly healing, and I am already planning for my next retreat. Your desires are valid and important, and I invite you to give yourself permission to experience more pleasure. If you are curious about the retreats, you can also listen to my recent episode with founder Pamela Madsen, where you'll get to hear lots of juicy details. 
If you're not ready to commit, you can even book a Back to the Body free consultation call. Go to backtothebody.org to book your free call. This 30-minute free call offers professional support on issues involving your intimacy, your body, and your sex life. A Back to the Body consultation is more than just answering your questions about a retreat, but they can do that as well. It is a personalized session with a professional sexologist to provide you with the support you need to get clear on your goals around sex and intimacy, and to define what your erotic growing edge might be. Once you define your desires, Back to the Body staff will help you figure out next steps to get them met. So check out backtothebody.org to sign up for the portal or a free call. That is backtothebody.org. Again, the link is in the episode's description. And remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Krista, thank you so much. This was so wonderful. Oh, I, I mean, you may have already had all of these amazing qualities, but I'm sure your therapist is very proud of you. You, the way you were talking about all this stuff, I'm like, this girl has been to therapy. I, you know, she was like, she was like, you should be a therapist. Come by my practice. I'll, I'll, I'll get you into therapy. I almost ended up going. I mean, you kind of you're doing coaching, and honestly. Sometimes I think about getting rid of my license because there's a lot less restrictions with coaching. So you might be making the right choice for you. (laughs) Yep. I hear you. Well, thank you so much for for joining. How can folks follow what you're doing, get in touch, um, book coaching with you? Yeah. So if they, if they're podcast listeners, which they obviously are, the Widowed Mom podcast is my podcast. And it does sound a little specific, but it's, you know, got a lot of good information about grief and post-traumatic growth and things that I think are useful to everyone. And maybe good um, for anyone who's experienced any kind of loss. I think so. Uh-huh. Yeah. I told, I get, yeah, I get a lot of um, emails from people who yeah, breakups or moms yeah. and just really appreciate the information because it's, it's just not being talked about enough. So that's one way. And then if people are looking for just information on grief quickly, they can go to coachingwithkrista.com and at the bottom of my homepage, um, they can find a free grief course. That's just about an hour long, just kind of some of the main myths of grief. And then also I have at coachingwithkrista.com forward slash grief support, a free quiz that they can take that kind of points them towards particular episodes of the podcast based on where they might be in their grief. And again, that's universal, not just for widows. Yeah. Love it. And again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Uh, You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. Don't forget to rate and review. It's always very helpful. And check out those advertiser discounts. And uh, Krista, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me.